0: Please open your Bibles to John chapter 9, John chapter 10, just making sure everyone was still awake, or awake to begin with, John chapter 10, the parable of the good shepherd, the account of Jesus explaining that he is indeed the good shepherd, John chapter 10, as we have been uh, navigating through this. Text through this portion of scripture for a while now. Several points for us this morning as we consider um, where we begin in chapter ten, verse sixteen. But first, as we consider the all of the armies uh, that ever marched, and all of the navies that ever were built, and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, all of them put together have not affected the life of mankind on this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life of Jesus Christ. Indeed, as Revelation says in chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom. Priests to his God and father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. God, I would pray that you would help me this morning to proclaim your word, God, that I'd be faithful to your word, God, that you would give ears to hear and hearts willing to change for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, Jesus continues and he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice. They will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. This one mission that Jesus has, gathering sheep, this one mission Gathering the sheep, there is one flock, there is one shepherd, there is one life that is laid down, there is one authority, and that comes from God, and there is one common division. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. As he was preaching, as he was teaching primarily to the people of Israel, other sheep need to be brought in, he says. Other sheep, not other goats. He is the good shepherd. Remember verse 14 and verse 15? I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And we examine the particular atonement there, whom Christ died for, particularly. He calls unbelieving Jews to himself. He calls them out of the false religion that they were in. And here in verse 16, these other sheep are referring to Gentiles. Jesus said in John 4.22 that salvation is from the Jews. It was announced first to the Jews and then to Gentiles. And Paul says... In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. And then in John 11, you're right there in John 10, invite you to turn to John 11, verse 47 through 52, as we just examine that briefly, considering uh, Jesus gathering his sheep, this one mission. The chief priests, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered Abroad, Gathering into one, Jews and Gentiles, to be the children of God. Sin is what scatters people. The gospel gathers people. The gospel according to Christ gathers people. The gospel call gathers people in. Jesus says, I have other sheep. Not I will have other sheep. I have other sheep. I must bring them also. These other sheep are his. He has them. He gives the disciples the the mission to go and find them. He says, I must bring them also. When Jesus says he must do something, it is something that Jesus will do. As he said to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus has sheep that must be brought into one flock. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. As Jesus says, they will Hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus would continue in ministry on earth until the time of the crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension. When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, What is the appointed means that he set in place for his sheep to be brought in to his flock? What is the appointed means? The preaching of his word. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me, says the Lord Jesus Christ. In heaven and on earth, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus continues to build the church. It is his church, and he does so by he hands it off to the disciples, the apostles, and we have the word of God and it is handed off to us. And the means that God uses is the preaching, the proclamation of the word of God. To gather his sheep in this singular mission. And specifically here he is speaking of his mission, the mission to the Gentiles. Remember what Jesus said to Ananias about Saul, Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul, as he becomes better known as Paul after his conversion. He doesn't get transformed into Paul. Saul, Paul, same um, same individual. But Paul is who he is more often known as in the New Testament after his conversion? Remember what Jesus said to Ananias about Saul. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Peter preached the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And Paul and Barnabas in the synagogue as well. I'll I'll, I'll look at Acts 13 for a moment. You may turn there if you'd like. Acts 13, 42 through 49. Paul and Barnabas. You've heard of the pair before. They were going out and the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Oh, let us hear these things again. Let us hear what you have to say about the Lord again the next Sabbath. They were begging that these things might be said. They wanted to hear it. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Paul turns to the Gentiles. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Imagine that. Imagine the crowd of people hungry to hear what he had to say. They were there not to hear a political speech. They were there not to hear something about um, the Greek gods. They were there to hear the word of the Lord. They were wanting to hear what Paul had to say. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing And glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many had been appointed to eternal life believed. They were rejoicing that the gospel was for them. They were not getting sick of the gospel, they were not saying, Oh, Paul, your sermons are too long. They wanted to hear what Paul had to say. The gospel for them. And notes in verse 48, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Well, well, who appointed them to eternal life? Sovereignty of God once again, election, predestination. Once again, we see it. They've been appointed to eternal life, believed. Let that once again free you up in evangelism. God has those whom He has appointed to eternal life who will believe. You go out and proclaim it for the glory of God and leave the results up to Him, His sheep. Hear His voice. There are the elect in New Hampshire, there are the elect in New England. And they will hear his voice when the gospel is proclaimed and they will respond. The fact that Jesus has sheep that he must bring in, that should ignite our hearts to preach the gospel and and also to hold the rope for those who go preach the gospel. I was watching videos of the heart cry missionaries, these last couple of days, men in in Zambia, men in Germany, men in other places, and these church plants that went out in a place to where you wouldn't even think a church would thrive, but God knew that a church planted there, people would come to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's such an encouragement to see And as we would hold the rope for those over there. Or hold the rope for men here who would seek to plant a church in New England. That knowing that people will get saved. The people that God has ordained will get converted. And that this is the means that God uses that should ignite our hearts. And the fact that he has converted us and saved us. That should ignite our hearts to preach his word, to proclaim his truth, to pass out gospel tracts, to get in conversations, to warn our friends, to pray for our enemies. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, The word of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So when we see people who do not know Christ, who are living in the world, who are living carnally, who are living a depraved life, and they are doing things that we can't even comprehend, we understand why, because they're doing what is according to their nature. And the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's why they mock it, because they hate the gospel and they hate Jesus Christ. Where is the wise man, though? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who will believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Paul says in chapter 2, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was in contrast to the messages that they were preaching of the false gods, the false Greek gods. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were non-persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So there is one mission that Jesus was on primarily, one primary mission, gathering the sheep. He leaves, passed the baton to us with one mission, one primary mission for the lost that is to proclaim the gospel to them there is one flock Jews and Gentiles they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd once again we have an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 34 i'll just read it for you no need to turn there it says this in verse twenty three I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and they excuse me, and he will feed them. he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. You know who this points to in the New Testament, who this ultimately points to to Christ, and in chapters thirty seven verse twenty four They will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. The notion of one shepherd and one flock is the teaching of one Lord and one people of God. So we see here this teaser in John chapter 10 preps us for a fuller understanding, for a fuller teaching, a fuller treatment in John chapter 17. And we also find this as a dominant theme in Scripture. One flock, one people of God, Jews and Gentiles, that Christ calls to himself. There are really two types of people in this world. Saved or lost. Sheep or goats. Christians or non-Christians. Second Corinthians. Uh, Ephesians, I'd rather, Ephesians chapter 2 helps us with this, verse 10 and 22. I'll just read this for us. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh, By human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups... Jew and Gentile into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both Jews and Gentiles in one body to God through the cross and having put to death, the enmity, he came and he preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's households. There is one body and one spirit. In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. No other power can remove such hatred and hostility and enmity between two people groups, between two different nations or two different backgrounds. Only biblical heart transformation by the gospel of Jesus Christ can do this. All Christians, we have the same Lord. We have the same access to the Father in prayer. Those who I, we were watching on heart cry, they have the same Lord. Those who are in Germany or Zambia that are serving Christ, the same Lord. All Christians have been redeemed from the same condemnation. All are saved the same way through the same gospel. One mission, gather the sheep. One flock, the children of God. One shepherd. One shepherd, Jesus Christ. As Hebrews tells us, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. And Exodus chapter 24, 6 through 8, speaks of Moses. He was a shadow of Christ, leading people out of Egypt, praying for the people. The blood was sprinkled on the people. And we see as as Christ calls his sheep by name, he leads us out of our sin, our condemnation, our depravity, and we're saved by the blood of the crucified one. The one shepherd, the great shepherd, the one who laid down his life, who shed his own blood. And through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Peter calls Christ the great shepherd, one shepherd, the good shepherd. Over all the sheep. We've been looking at this theme of Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus, the one true shepherd. He has one flock. One life laid down. Fourthly, one life laid down. Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life and take it up again. Remember, as the Father says of Jesus at, the, at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. For the reason, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life and take it up again. The Father loves the Son. This Trinitarian love that has been mentioned by Jesus before, this love between the Father and the and the Son, John three thirty five. the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands, says the Lord. When Jesus spoke of his equality with the Father, he said, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And here, the Lord expresses that the Father loves him because of his dedication to the Father's will to lay down his life for the sheep. In order for the Son to be glorified with the Father, with the glory He had with the Father before the world was, He must lay down His life and and take it up again. And in doing so, He brings many sons to glory. If you're a Christian this morning, you're going to be glorified. You're on your way. You're on the path. Nothing can change that if you know Christ. He will bring you in. He will see to it that it takes place. Leon Morris says about this verse here, the meaning here is that the death of Jesus is the will of God for him. He is in perfect harmony with the will of God. He goes forward to that death. Thus, the Father's love is the recognition of, From the father's side of the perfect community between them on this matter. He laid down his life and took it up again. This one life laid down, uh, one sacrifice, and he has one authority. One authority. Of course, the deity of Christ is in mind here. The, the, the thought of the resurrection is in it as well. He says, No one has taken taken it, meaning his life, away from me. He's not even, hasn't even gone to the cross yet. But he says it looking forward. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, he says, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Here it is. Uh, stated exclusively that Jesus is in full control, in full command of every situation. No one could get a hold of him. No one could harm him. No one could arrest him. No one could hit him. No one could kill him until it was the appointed time. No one else who ever lived or ever will live can truthfully claim such authority as Christ. He is claiming power over his life, his death, his resurrection. From the response we see in verse 33, it was clear. The Jews answered, for good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Why? Because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Here's another claim by Christ, claiming to be God. When people say, well, Jesus never said he he was God. It's over and over again. And here we see it now from the response of the Jews and what Jesus said. He was claiming deity because that is who he is. He is God. No one has taken it. I lay it down. It is, as he said here, it is as sure as it has already happened. This authority... That Christ has. The Lord who vacated his tomb has not vacated his throne. This divine authority we see uh, numerous times expressed in in Scripture. Jesus brought before Pilate, the account is told in John 19, verse 9. Actually, verse seven, when they were calling out to crucify him, to crucify Christ. And Pilate says, "You take him yourself and crucify him. I found no guilt in him." The Jews answered him, chapter 10 verse, excuse me, chapter 19, verse seven, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God." Therefore, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Rightly so. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Well, Jesus said, You have no authority over me Unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus has authority over all, all men, everywhere, at all time. When we get dis- discouraged and we get in despair because of what may be taking place or what is taking place in our nation, Jesus has all authority all will answer to him we must keep that in mind jesus authority his authority before pilate his authority over his last breath jesus received the sour wine he said it is finished he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit the other two who were hung on the cross there they their legs were broken And they died. Jesus was in full authority over even his death. He has authority over the resurrection. I have authority to lay it down, he says, Jesus says, and I have authority to take it up again. Authority over his death. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was going to die. Authority over the many that he brings to glory. By the way, if Jesus calls you to follow him. And you answer the call to follow him. He has authority over your life. You no longer are your own. It's you belong to him now. Christ has authority over the church, which he purchased with his blood. This command he received from the Father, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The question for us is, do you want to do God's will this morning? Is it your desire today to to do the will of God? Or do we say, I want... I want my will. I want my way. One mission, gather the sheep. One flock, the children of God. One shepherd, one true shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. One life laid down for us. One authority, and that's the authority of the Lord. And there's one common division. One division. A division occurred. So we consider in John 10 here. A division occurred among them, among the Jews, because of these words. Many were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So a division occurred among among those who were there. Jesus had... it proclaimed and expressed his, his power of who he is, his leadership, his headship, that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the, uh, the gate, that he is the door, that he is the true shepherd, the good shepherd. He is claiming equality with God, he's claiming to be God. And so a division occurs among the Jews once again. Why? Because of these words, the scripture says. What words? his claim to divinity. From the erroneous perspectives of those he was speaking to, the, the Jewish leaders and others, they said he is committing blasphemy from their perspective because he was making himself out to be God. But Jesus was telling the truth of who he was. This division that occurs, we've seen this, over and over again. Chapter 7, verse 12, there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. And in chapter 9, verse 16, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And it continues to be a common division Today, That is really the dividing line of who you claim Christ to be. It continues to be a common theme today. Various false beliefs and even false religions are formed on erroneous beliefs of who Jesus Christ is. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created being. The Mormons believe God is an exalted man. That's just getting started on what they believe. Right there, off, off the cuff, right there, off the bat, they have proven to be false. Some would even say, and say today, oh, he was, he was a good man, a moral man, but, but deity, that he went to the cross, that he rose from the dead. It's only, and we, we say, how could people not believe that? Well, we can only believe that by the grace of God in our lives. It was foolishness to us before we were Christians. So we see some devilish deniers here. Many of them were saying he has a demon and he's insane. Why do you listen to him? So when they wanted to refute Jesus and say something harsh about Jesus, they would throw out the demon card and they would throw out the insanity card. And people still try to throw that out today. And in the, the word demon is emphatic here in the original. A demon he has. This has been said before of the Lord in the Gospel of John as well. Chapter 7, chapter 8. It's interesting that in John's Gospel, the occasions where the word demon occurs are when the Jews are accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed or when Jesus is refuting their charge. The conclusion then is that Jesus, from their perspective, from their false teaching, has a demon and similarly was insane. As a result, they ask, Who would, why would you listen to him? People say the same thing to us today as Christians. Why do you follow that anyway? Why do you believe that? Why would you even obey that? Why would you even live morally here? You can do whatever you want. These are wicked men to say such things about Jesus Christ. One Puritan said, tigers rage at the fragrance of sweet spices. So did these monsters at the Savior's sweet sayings. But we have to remember that each of us here have corrupted hearts, that we can only call Jesus Lord and follow him because of a change in our heart that he has done by his sovereign grace, that he has wrought in us. Where would you be without Christ today? You ever think about that? If I never got converted, where would I be today? What would I be doing? Would I even be alive today? I think about that for a few moments and I cannot go too far further because I don't want to dwell there. What would you be doing in your life? You wouldn't be here. That's for sure. You'd be doing some extracurricular activity on Sunday morning instead of being at church. Maybe some of you in your minds this morning, you're not even here. If that's true, repentance is in order. The word of God is being proclaimed and we are accountable to it. Our heart has been changed. He has has set us free. Is he not worthy to be here to worship him? Where else would we be today? What sin would we have gone into? What road would we have gone down if he had not saved us, if he has not changed our hearts? Oh, thanks be to God that he has called us to be born again. Oh, that we can call Jesus Lord and mean it. The world knows nothing of this. Others were there who responded to Jesus' claims. They were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So they had a little softer approach, a little little softer softer denial of who Jesus was. They're not going to call him demon or insane. He he, he opened the eyes of the blind. A a demon can't do that. Their conclusion was that this man is saying certain things, words that are not of a demon-possessed man, They refuse to condemn Jesus as demon-possessed or insane. But they refuse to or make no acknowledgment of who he is. So I remember when I was younger even, that the things of the Lord used to be of respect. There would be a certain connotation to those things are or sacred, so to speak. I'm just speaking our own nation and where I was raised. It wasn't mocked as severely as it is now from the circles or the upbringing I was in. You can't say these things. I I had a, a, a foul mouth before I was a Christian. And there's things that I've said that I don't even remember what I said. I don't want to. But consider the condemnation that used to come out of our mouths. The things that we used to say, or maybe some of us said about Christ. The blasphemy and using his name in in vain. When I was younger, that was even in a secular home. No, 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 we do not say that. Now it's just thrown around as the Lord's name thrown around as a cuss word. as just part of the vocabulary. It's a sad thing. The point is, is that they would not say he was demon-possessed. He's not insane. But they're not following him. They're not saying he is the Son of God. They're not saying... Uh, I recognize you, Jesus, as as who you are. I, I follow you. They're not recognizing his deity. It's one thing to deny horrendous verbal assaults on Jesus. It's quite another thing to profess Jesus as Christ and to follow him. So both here, both responses were guilty. One was just a little softer than the other. So as they consider, as we consider these points this morning, we conclude, there's one mission, one, one primary mission, the gathering of the sheep. One primary mission for us as we reach the lost, proclaim the good news. There's one flock. There's not many ways of salvation. There is one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. There is one flock. There's one true shepherd, one life that was laid down. For us, there is one authority that comes from God. One common division. And that is the division of Christ, of who one says he is. So Christ had one mission, one primary mission, as we consider gathering the sheep. To rescue the lost. To rescue the souls of men. He came on a divine rescue mission. The question is, have you been rescued by Christ? Has he arrested your soul? Have you turned from your sin and trusted Jesus Christ for eternal life? And for Christians this morning, are you part of Christ's mission, the Great Commission? Is that part of your, your week? Is it part of your, your day? Is it part of your hour? to proclaim the gospel, to hold the rope for those who are proclaiming, to those who are church planting. Jesus has one flock, one people of God, one shepherd. Are you listening to his call of obedience to him? Maybe there's areas in your life to where you're really struggling in a sin And his word is clear. One that struck me as I was reading one book and reading another book, and it came together of a few texts that struck out to me of not being concerned with worldly fables, not being concerned so much with uh, wisdom of this world. And for me, that pointed out to an area of my life that said, wow, you know, there's so much news In this world, you could keep up with, you could be on there 24 hours a day with so many different perspectives of what's going on in this world, even from a perspective that one may agree with. Everybody's got a podcast, everybody's got a blog, everybody has an opinion, and most of them are from an unbiblical worldview. So that was something that God pointed out to me in my life, to not be distracted by that, but to be immersed in this a reminder for me. Perhaps there's other areas. The Holy Spirit is working in your hearts, convicting your hearts that you must turn from something or there's something you must let go of. Obey that. Listen to the call of God. There's one life that's been laid down for us. i read this for us. Mark chapter 8. 34, he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. What is it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what, man, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, says the Lord, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. So are you ashamed of the son of God this morning? Are you ashamed of uh, Christ this morning? Or are, is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he precious to you? One authority. Uh, that's Jesus Christ. One division. One is either born again or they're dead in their sin. Let us pray. God, as we have continued our study and your word in this particular portion of Scripture, we ask that you would Continue to shepherd our hearts, to draw nearer to you, that we would be weaned from the things of this world, God, and that we would be sober-minded in a time that seems to really want to destroy our mind, to dilute our mind, and to distract our minds and to capture our hearts oh lord but you have captured our heart have you not and you you love us so much lord no greater love knows any man but this that he would lay down his life for his friends thank you for laying down your life so that we may have life now and we may have eternal life. Thank you that you do shepherd our hearts, that you lead us, you guide us, and you see us through bringing many sons to glory. In Jesus' name, amen.